I think one of the big pieces that people miss is you have to meet the communities where they are. You have to go into the communities, not just have a marketing strategy. You have to go into communities and grow trust. Because straight. What's that? Feet on the street. Feet on the street. You have to have a community strategy, not just putting branches there. Like, are you actually in the community? Are you having first time home buyer educational classes consistently? Right? Consistently offering that and breaking down that barrier that we're the big bad like we're the bad guys. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And today we're back for part three of our three-part series focused on affordable housing and increasing accessibility of homeownership. Today we welcome Montel Watson, the Director of Diversity Lending and Strategic Partnerships at Movement Mortgage. Montel walks us through his career in mortgage lending from helping Movement launch their consumer direct division to his current role focused on diversity lending. We go into some of the initiatives that he has spearheaded, including Grab the Key, some HBCU partnerships, and community-based lending strategies. Montel also gives us a glimpse into some other initiatives and challenges and opportunities happening at Movement Mortgage, including originator recruitment, Movement's acquisition of a mortgage brokerage, and servicing loans during COVID. I am couldn't be more grateful for Montel's openness in this conversation. And I really hope you enjoy and gain some value from today's guest, Montel Watson. HousingWire Annual The Remix is a virtual event bringing together highlights from 2022's conference in Scottsdale with exclusive new sessions just for virtual attendees. Join us October 20th for sessions where housing market leaders discuss their playbooks, how to execute bold growth strategies, and more. HousingWire Annual The Remix, coming to you online October 20th. Glad to get in person with you. We don't get to record podcasts in person too often anymore, but great to be across the table from you. Absolutely, man. I, I, it's it's a cool thing to be here doing what we love with people that we love. Uh, I mean, how much better is in an industry that we love, right? So it's cool, man. Love it. In an industry that we're all building careers in. I'm pretty yeah. fortunate to get to see you start your career at Movement about yeah. six years ago. Yeah, you're spot on. Spot on. Six years ago, man. And it's been, uh, been a crazy and beautiful ride. Yeah, tell us tell us about the ride. How'd you join the organization? And, oh man, and how, how have you grown? We're diving in there. So, uh, man, my my story around my movement story. So I I like uh, that my movement story. I feel like yeah. that's is that like something a term you guys use? No, it's not. It's not. But we need to we need to coin it now, right? Yeah. <laughs> but so you know, I started off in the industry at Wells Fargo Financial doing subprime loans. Um, my last day during the, the crisis, I did a 28% car loan at 160% loan to value. Uh, and the only benefit was $1,500 cash out. My jaw is on the floor. Jaws on the floor has to be. And I went to my sales manager and I'm like, man, you don't expect me to sell this. He said, I do. I sold it. The person took it and I quit that day and I walked out. And at that moment, Clayton, for me, like my heart and my mind, like I knew I was like, I have to be a part of something that is focusing on helping people, not hurting people. And so, you know, you, I, you know, we, we went to college together and I played college basketball. So getting into the mortgage industry was very like intriguing to me simply because it's high pace. It is competitive. And so I loved all that and I'm economically driven. And so that was awesome to me. But once I started to learn the people that I, I was hurting, not helping look like me, black and brown. Right. And so fast forward years um, you know, I had a chance of meeting Casey and just seeing all of the cool stuff, like from, you know, from the, the back, like just seeing all the 
amazing things the movement was doing. And I just had to be a part of it, man. I had to be a part of it. And I remember like my wife, um, we're sending bash going through uh, Facebook. And so my wife and Casey's wife did CrossFit together. They're like the creme de la creme of CrossFit when it originally started. And, and if anyone follows you on Instagram, like we know that you guys, <laughs> right. you guys own CrossFit. Uh, she, uh, <laughs> yeah, she owns CrossFit. Yeah. Let's say yeah. that. Let's say that I, I come along. She puts you to work. She, yes. Yeah, she puts me to shame too. Um, <laughs> and no, but so we got a chance to meet each other on like the CrossFit cycle. But then just following and seeing everything, I'm scrolling through Facebook in bed. I'm like showing my wife, like, hey, look look at this. Look how cool this is. We did a Dave Ramsey campaign. It was a pay off a million dollars of debt and then save a million dollars. This is for the employees. In case he bought the total money makeover for every employee. And also gave $10,000 away to every employee that um, met certain metrics and tracked how much they saved and how much did that they um, paid off of debt. Oh, wow. Um, so these weren't even like business performance metrics. These are no. like personal performance metrics, personal, personal yeah. finance performance metrics. Absolutely. And so how amazing is that, that a debt company cares enough about the employees to help them pay off debt. Right. And my wife is like, you know, she's very sweet, articulate. She's like, stop being a punk and go talk to Casey. And so I stopped being a punk. I called him and I was just like, dude, I just want to learn about movement. I was like, and I was afraid because I'd lose my, at the time I was series seven. Cause I had, I shifted over. Series 766, grown a book of business. And I had done a dev into like the little bit of leadership side. And I'm like, I lose my license. We're friends. So it's weird to work with your friend, which is not. Um, but every reason of not making the decision to go talk to him. And, you know, we talked and he is just has the biggest heart and cares about character and culture. And he's like, I know your character. I know your heart. We'll figure something for you to do. Right. Cause I'm like, dude, I haven't been in mortgage in, you know, five, six years at the time. And so, Six months later, I come on board helping, you know, with some strategic like uh, project, you know, management uh, items and initiatives. And one of those was our consumer direct channel, which I love sales. And I helped grow that from the ground up. We had a leader. He moved on. And during it, when he moved on, I was next up. Right. Next That's kind of like that, that so. strategic projects job. Like, hey, this guy's going to do something. We don't know what yet. So uh, let's wait for the opening and plug uh, him. Was that the, kind of the play? Yeah, a, l- a little <laughs> bit. Right. I mean, you know, I was involved in so many. It was cool because you get to learn so many parts of the business yeah. from the marketing to technology to the sales. Um, but yeah, man. And then, you know, rest is history. And I'm doing some great things and I love every aspect of it. Well, let's go back to that, the consumer direct business that you, that you helped build. What yeah. was the, like, how did that business come together? How has it played out in the overall strategy? Yeah, man. So originally our strategy was, which it'll come full circle here, was to call on leads, then get them pre-approved and then send them back to the market. Our sales team loved it, right? They absolutely loved it because you're giving them a, a potential deal that they wouldn't have had and then being able to refer that to their agents, Right. And so that solidifies and uh, creates a stronger relationship with the agents um, and also helps you grow your agent relationships. Right. And so that's how we started. We obviously transitioned to a new acquisition strategy um, where you start buying, you know, your normal lead players, your lending trees, bank, you know, a bank rate, et cetera, Zillow. Um, and during COVID, we jumped into the servicing game. Right. So we went from doing I think we did like 55 million of volume the very first year of us, you know, being put together to getting to a hundred million a month to then dude, it was absolute craziness during COVID of, you know, where rates were. And then we had the servicing book, FHFA dropped the 50 basis points. It was absolutely mayhem. So I had to take, 
you know, I had around uh, 50 to 60 loan officers and that are all new acquisition lead by and flipped them over to service and retention, a whole entire different strategy in the middle of like the absolute refi boom. Right. And so it was, uh, dude, it was crazy. And nowhere else do you get that type of stuff other than the mortgage industry. <laughs> it was, it was absolutely crazy, but it was fun. It was fun, man. I, I, I got a lot of gray hairs during that time. Period. <laughs> you have, uh, sure. at least you have all your hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. After uh, knowing each other for what, God, like 19 years now, yeah, um, I think you've seen my hair 20, yeah. shift a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay. So during COVID started retaining servicing, that was a trend that we saw across yeah. the, the mortgage banking mm-hmm. ecosystem. How, what, it, what had to happen there from like an infrastructure and culture wow. perspective to, you know, go from the traditional IMB model yeah. of like originate and sell yes. both the, the security and the, um, and the servicing rights. Right. So you have a lot of moving pieces across several different departments. Um, and then also you have to, we, we integrated into our say our, our retail sales, right? So what we do is we take it start to finish, pay reduced basis points for our retail. Um, and they love it. And it was an opt-in model. We allowed them to opt-in. And 94% of our loan, our retail loan officers opted in. And what a lot of times people were like, oh, well, retail is going to hate. It's going to be a fight. It was awesome. It was awesome because they were so busy trying to get, like, get loans through the, you know, the pipelines, right, that they were like, just take care of our refis for us. That's fine. Go, you take care of that. And so if you think about it across the, like, from a data perspective, you had to make sure that all the servicing data was right your analytics and secondary markets had to build an algorithm to give you the in the money loans, right? And you know, all the different refi opportunities, those have to be labeled appropriately from a campaign perspective so that you're calling the right people. They also have to be attached to your retail loan officer so that, that when you do lock the loan and you get it back to them, that you're so what we promise is that when we're calling out to a customer, we're leading with your name first as a retail loan. So they love it. Right. We're part of you. We're an extension to your team. Um, and so there's just a lot of moving pieces. And then you're, the statements, ensuring that the retail loan officers stay on the statements. And if you really unpack it and get behind it, man, it's a lot. It is a lot. And then also making sure you have triggers. And, you know, we use Sales Boomerang. And Alex love those guys um, to also protect the book. Um, and then your marketing strategy. Like what marketing strategy or message are you sending the right buckets of segments when it comes to your book so that – when a message comes across that it actually benefit them, that they're actually calling you first and not calling, you know, a, a competitor. So there's a lot of moving pieces, man. But it was it was it was fun. Um, it was challenging. So anytime you get to do challenging and new work, it's it's amazing. Um, and then your sales training, like you have to train differently with the conversation flows, like the products, right? Like it's it and it was it was a little challenging because you're having to do some of those the some of the FHA streamlines that yep. people have never done. Um, your you know your earls like your VA like so it, it was man it was um it was very very challenging. But I look back on it and I talked to some of the you know the guys that um and ladies that I led like they all are very appreciative of going through it because ain't nothing else coming that was more difficult than that. That's the way we look yeah. at it, right? Yeah, um, building something new and with with your unique culture with everybody down there in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, man. So it was, it was fun. It was fun. So I know there's, as we look across kind of the broader trends in mortgage banking, we're starting to see some people start to find liquidity in those servicing rights. Is that, mm-hmm. a, is that a trend that we're seeing play out at movement as well? Or is there a commitment to long-term servicing? And Definitely a commitment to long-term servicing. 
Um, I think that, you know, we look to take advantage of opportunities when they pop up, but our long-term like commitment is to the servicing rights, right. And, and having those customers for life, we want to have customers for life. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, we were committed. We're in it. We're in the servicing game now and, and are ready to protect our book. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess you did a, a good job building that consumer direct business. Cause you, you jumped into a, a new opportunity, uh, yes, as director yes. of diversity lending and strategic partnerships. Yeah. Tell us more about this role, what your, what your charge is as oh, director man. of diversity and strategic lending. Yeah. So you got to hear a little bit of my story, right? And that is what's driven me to even while I was doing the consumer direct strategy and leading that, I was just passionate about this. So, you know, Casey and I had some conversations and he's, you know, this is when it was um, very visible and talked about frequently, you know, some years back around homeownership rates in the black community. Right around, you know, it starts being becoming a, a hot topic in like 18, 19-ish, right? You start seeing yep. it more consistently. Um, and so, you know, for us, we were like, okay, we need to do something, understanding that homeownership rates are, are what they are in the black and Hispanic community. So let's attack it. And so I just went in, you know, immediately, um, even though, you know, it wasn't my technical role, it's just starting to learn from our loan officers, learn from our customers, learn from our realtors. Um, it's like, what exactly do we need? Right. What do we need? And then, you know, what kind of birth out of that is what we have now, which is grab the key and community on. Um, but fast forward, man, I, like as the you know, you got to hear a little bit about the, the you know, COVID and servicing and leading that during that. Um, I was like, Casey, man, like I, I like I love this. I'm extremely passionate about the you know diversity side of helping, you know, diverse communities get in homes. But I'm drowning. Like I got we got we got to hire somebody full time time to do it. Um, and he was like, completely agree. Let's do it. Um, a week later, he called me back. He's like, all right, I got the person like to lead it. I wanted to be you. And so I'm like, okay, let's go. Right. And I was, it was bittersweet. Right. Because I'm extremely passionate about this and I love it. Like, I love it. I would don't tell him, but I do it for free. Right. <laughs> and, 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 but, but on the other side is like, I think he, uh, might hear. Yeah, he might hear this, right? <laughs> no, but, but the other, on the other side of it, man, like, having a team, leading a team, we were on a hundred people. Like that was awesome. And then going through ups and downs and doing that locked arms with people that you enjoy being around. Like it just builds something, man, that is like, you'll never forget it. Right. And it's a cool, it's it, to me, it relates to like sports. And, you know, when I play college basketball and I lock arms with, with you know, the guys I play with is very similar to that. Right. And so I had a, you know, I have the love for my consumer direct squad and team, um, but I am super passionate about what I do. Let's now. like let's break down some of the drivers for why black owner home ownership rates, the stats aren't what they should be. And, and yeah. I'll let you kind of leave what the stats are. Like, yeah. oh, like where, where are we where are we sitting right now? And um it's yeah. in some of our lesser served demographics in the home ownership market. Definitely an underserved demographic. And so Let's take a step back, right? Let's okay. look at the history in housing. And if you guys get a chance, The Color of Law is an amazing book. I don't know if you've read it yet. But I haven't. Amazing book. It, it goes through the history of housing. And it shows you, you know, as you go through slavery, Jim Crow, um, the, you know, whenever we, you know, America has gone to war a few times in the past. And when we come back from that, you get major expansion, right? And the VA bill. Um, and so you have this major expansion and a lot of families buying homes and getting the, the VA loans 0% down, having those op massive opportunities to, you know, create generational wealth, right? And the black and brown community can't be involved. 
because they legally like we couldn't own homes. Right. And so and then you have like blatant, you know, racial issues around those times. And we even find it today, Clayton, where you have the, the restricted deeds that say, hey, you cannot pass this home to a black or brown person. Is that in some of those, I'm forgetting the names of the town communities, but there, there's, there was a community some in Long Island that mm-hmm. was like right built like um, post post-war yeah. and some of those, uh, that early documentation that you referenced still 100%. kind of rides around in historic records. 100%. Right. So if you take a look at and then, then the big piece is the big piece is redlining, right? So the history around redlining and understanding that and being, you know, told that these are the areas you have to live in. And a lot of times whenever, you know, the areas were redlined, like literally it's like, Hey, if there's a predominantly black community, let's circle it red. If the community is black and Brown and a mixture of, of white individuals, let's circle it yellow. If the community is majority, you know, like non Hispanic white, here, here are your, like, you know, your areas and the prominent areas to live in. Right. And so you have that, and then you don't have lending in those communities. And then those communities are also placed around like environmental riskier areas. Then you have what you see today. And right? today we have fair lending compliance that in, that enforces lending in all communities, but there's still long-term repercussions and the values and the, the environmental concerns you mentioned. I mean, I'm thinking of like our home market of Dallas and like it's uh, there's, there's communities that just are, are placed next to water treatment facilities and stuff that aren't like the, not as desirable as not, uh, that's and, not where you want to live. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if you, yeah. And you take a look at the market today and black home ownership is it, it bounces from 41 to 44 ish, right. Which are, if you take a look at it, the same rates of when Dr. King got the fair housing act passed. Yeah. So we understand that, right. Dr. King fought to, for black and brown people to legally own homes in the sixties and the rates are still where they are right now today. We got to, as an industry, we got to take a step back and say, okay, guys, like what are different things that we can do? And not, it's not going to be a flip of a switch, right? We got to dive in long-term. We got to spend some time long-term, which is where we are in it for the long-term, 100% long-term. And also understanding that we need partners to be able to execute this. We need to have, you know, you take a look at zoning and how you're going to get different building. Cause right now we don't have that many homes, right? We're completely behind in regards to home builds and first time home buyers and a lot of this community and affordability is an issue and you have credit issues like long-term credit issues and you have long-term traumatic issues where the black and brown community are, they pretty much said, this is not for me. I don't, I'm not supposed to own a home, right? I had that, bro. I, I was in the lending community. Like, right. You heard my story. I heard that story. I went and looked at homes and I just kept talking myself out of it. Because historically, my family didn't own homes. And as we have traveled and had our grab the keys, what you end up hearing is these amazing generational stories of individuals that it's repetitive of like, our communities don't, they don't, we don't feel that we are supposed to own homes. And so we got to break that down. We have to break down the trauma. We have to break down the misconceptions because there's a lot. And there's opportunity, right? There's opportunity. You have the special purpose credit programs coming. Um, you know, you, you so many different things that are at play where, legislation or trying to like you have different things trying to come in trying to help and so us as lenders we need to take another step to, to do the same in the very first minute of this podcast you mentioned um the attraction of the mortgage industry where mm. you can make an impact while mm-hmm. also being economically driven and yeah. 
listening to some of the interviews that we've done at Ho- Housing Wire on affordable housing and increasing access to home ownership, mm-hmm. one of the, the terms I really only hear come up when we're talking about serving black and brown and underserved communities mm-hmm. it is the American dream. Mm-hmm. And when we talk mm-hmm. about, um, we talk about the American dream, mm-hmm. we look at a, a generation and a demographic of people who are striving for home ownership. Mm-hmm. And that's not something we, we, we hear like mm-hmm. verbalized when we talk about the, the white community, which has higher home ownership rates. Mm-hmm. So, and what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting to here is there is a, an opportunity, not just to help make an impact. There's an opportunity to have outsized business outcome by serving communities that desire, want, and are working toward home ownership. And, um, I've seen studies on Hispanic home ownership and the, yes. the desire for home ownership from mm-hmm. new immigrant communities. 100%. And that's something that not only is the right thing to do and has the opportunity to make an impact, but yeah. also a massive financial opportunity. opportunity to build businesses that Huge make an impact and drive profit or, or in, in movements case, give back to the community at the same time. So 100%. tell us more about the business opportunity that you're uncovering as you like peel back the onion on the, um, the diverse lending segment. If you do not have as a lender, if you do not have a Spanish experience, Hispanic Latino segment strategy. You are absolutely bonkers. And what I mean by that is that you just talked, touched a little bit on the stats you have the Hispanic Latino community that is going to be a driving force over the next like decade and more to come of being some of the, like the, a major portion of your first time home buyers. You have a massive amount of like the actual population growth within that community and affluency in that community, as well as like the, I heard a stat the other day on, on the news of like the GDP of the Hispanic Latino community is like the number five GDP in, in the country that is inside the United States. That is that's that is an absolute crazy thing to hear and not say we want to help this community because they're affluent and they're underserved, completely underserved. Like we lender, we have to have a Spanish experience for borrowers that want to have a Spanish experience and let's, a native tongue experience. Let's talk about what that experience is, though, because most mm-hmm. lenders are doing the same things, right? Mm-hmm. They're putting mm-hmm. branches in communities. They're, mm-hmm. they're buying leads. They're running marketing campaigns. What has to change? What is different about that yeah. strategy when you are trying to provide a Spanish experience or an yeah. experience that serves the black community? Like, What is different about that go-to-market strategy for the lender? That is an absolutely amazing question. I think one of the big pieces that people miss is you have to meet the communities where they are. You have to go into the communities, not just have a marketing strategy. You have to go into communities and grow trust. Because street. what's that? Feet on the street. Feet on the street. You have to have a community strategy, not just putting branches there. Like, are you actually in the community? Are you having first time home buyer educational classes consistently, right? Consistently offering that and breaking down that barrier that we're the big bad, like we're the bad guys. We're not, we're here to help. Right. So if you don't have that aspect of it, I think that you we're, we are missing the boat, but then you also need to educate and on feet on the street, your realtor partners, right? Because you have realtor partners that have different thought processes and biases around the type of loans that may come from these communities. Right. So you have to educate on that. It's actually not that hard. We actually can we, we, get, we can get you approved over here, too. Right. If it's down payment assistance, FHA or I-10 loan, whatever it is, we can get those approved as well. 
Um, that's another piece. You got to have to, you have to have the actual products available to help the community. If you have the products, you got to have the right people, right? If you look at rates for when it comes to your black and Hispanic loan officers in the industry, we need to have strategies around ensuring that you have the right people in the industry, right? So it's a, it, it is a multi-level strategy of being in the communities, partnering with community relationships. Like you have to have those actually in them. Um, yeah. And then products and then people it's, you know, it's not that hard. It's just whether or not you want to do the work and time to do it. And then lastly is like, okay, now you have the, the customer, they trust you. They want to take the next steps. What is their experience? Are you giving them documents and items and communication that they're like, can I, can I just not do this in Spanish? I want to do this in Spanish. And you say, no, actually you can't. So, uh, and then your loan officers, that's a barrier, right? It's a barrier. <laughs> and so, but then you have your loan officers that your Hispanic loan officers have to take another entire step of saying, okay, let me go through and translate each and every one of these pieces for you in the documents and go over it. Right. I mean, so, think about like English as a first language mm-hmm. home buyers, mm-hmm. like you don't read every page of the loan commitment or right. the, the, the closing docs. No. Like just imagine, I can't even imagine mm-hmm. buying a property in a Spanish speaking country and being like, well, I'll sign this doc. I don't understand. Exactly. I'll sign this doc. I don't understand. I'll sign this doc. I don't understand. And why is that even legal? Like right. that to like sign something right. you don't understand. So that is a big piece. We're working with our doc providers. So we, so we have the disclosures. So which is a big win. It was a big win for our loan officers, big win for the community we're trying to serve. We, you know, have our marketing now and we have the, because the other piece of it is that you have to have the compliance set up appropriately to be able to do these things. And so we have made the commitment and making sure that we have those things set up and in place. Um, the big piece we're working on right now is the 1003. We're working on having the 1003 in Spanish um, and in California and New York, our favorite states. We have to have the entire package in Spanish, right? So a little bit of a pain, but we're working through that piece of it. Right? I mean, a pain, but yeah. at least it's like a step towards, step like towards documentation it. that the, the borrower can read and understand. On uh, 100%. 100%. And then internally, but I do know no one yeah. wants to do business in California or New York. So it's, uh, <laughs> but internally, you know, then we also are educating our loan officers too, man. We, we're just trying to have a multi-level education aspect. So, yeah. All right. So I remember when grab the key launched, it was kind of an unbranded effort. It was not, a, it was not a, a movement effort out the gate. So yes. like, tell us about the origin story of grab the key, what it is, yeah. launched what it is now. Yeah. So when we originally launched, we're like, okay, what can we do as a gift to the industry? That was a part of it. Like, what can we create non-brand and give to the industry? Let the industry just say, hey, like, we are here to help. Because there is there is a um, there's a little bit of rumblings, like, you know, you, your headlines and different things. And then the long-term trauma we talked about where the community is like, oh, you don't really want to help me. You want to take advantage of me. That, that is the That's what we have to break down in that fear aspect, right? And so we're like, let's create something that is powerful, that um, encourages the community that it is possible to own a home and that there are people out there that, that want to help. Right. So that was our, that was our initial goal. We you know, obviously launched it. We didn't get the response community wise, like from the lending community as we want it. And so, you know, we were like, let's roll, let's roll, let's put feet in the street. Let's um, let's get out in every community. Let's, you know, preach it from like, as high as we can on why this is important for the communities. Um, and man, it's just, it's, it's been beautiful. Cause you know, we started during COVID. Right. So COVID, it was all digital. Back when you're also still running consumer direct and putting together a servicing strategy and like, oh yeah, I'll take on a third responsibility (laughs) here. Yeah. And so, you know, it started with the marketing, like 
empowerment and bring an engagement around it to then like, okay, let's actually get in the communities and have the, the seminars. Um, and we have two strategies of like your first time home buyer seminars to educate directly to the community and then our, your partners, right? So the community, we're trying the lending community and the real estate community. So then we have your appraisers come in, we have your title come in, your brokers and like we just had an event in Boston, a Gravity Key event in Boston, where there is two, like two black appraisers in the sense of ownership. The two black individuals that own appraisers, uh, appraisal management companies in Boston, and to hear the perspective, right? Because you get a lot of the headlines around appraisal being biased and you know the, the issues there. Um, but to hear the perspective, it's just it was great for the brokers and the real estate agents in the room, right? as well as the lenders, man. So just learning from each other and learning how we can better support the community and that there are a bunch of successful people in the room that can also do it. You can partner together, right? And the collaboration that comes from it, it's amazing from your builders to, you know, we have uh, local government folks in there that are trying to create change. And it's been, dude, it's been, um, it's gaining a lot of momentum um, and it's been great. In the first time homebuyer education seminars, do you typically, have you seen like, are these people that are, six months away from home ownership or six years away? Like how, how early are people coming to prepare for this like big step where they might be the first person in their family to to buy a home? We, so what we do is on every one of those that we, like the first time home buyer workshops, we do a a live poll, right? And a part of that live poll is a question of like, when are you looking to, to, to buy a home? Probably, I think we were around like 82% of the folks that come in there it's very specific, are, are probably 82%, 82% are looking to buy a home within the next 12 months. Now, after you unpack that and from a credit perspective, from assets, income, all of that, right. You, you sometimes get a little bit of a longer cycle, but these are some people that may have never raised their hand to actually go take those first steps. Right. This is what we're this is what we're finding out and then trying to have different partners to help whenever because, you know, we're not credit specialists. Right. Yeah. So having the right people in the room to help from a credit perspective um, and just having the, the right agents and just uh, the right partners to, to help. In many parts of the country, home prices are up 40 percent since you launched Grab the Key. Yeah, How does home price appreciation affect the mentality and desire of first time home buyers, specifically from the diverse communities that you're serving in your current role? Um, their the desire to, to enter the home ownership market. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's daunting, right? It's daunting. Um, and it was even daunting whenever you were, you know, over the last several, like the last year or so, whenever offers are coming in crazy, big due diligence money, crazy. Um, and I sat in a room and we actually partnered, I don't know if you know Elevation Church, but we partnered with Elevation Church to do some of our Grab the Key events. And whenever the real estate portion came up and some of the, the folks in the audience started asking questions on that, you could just feel, you could feel everybody, just the energy in there, just like, they're just kind of like, oh, it's not, I still don't have, I still don't have a shot. Affordability is getting significant, significantly worse. Yeah. And, at, but at the same time, you're kind of watching that like train leave the station and that's gotta be a, a exactly. tough feeling. So we're trying to educate on like, you know, the whole, what is it? Um, marry the house, date the rate type thing. You know, you see that in the industry, but also just sustainability of like, Hey, we want to help you get into the home, but we also want to keep you in. Right. So we want you to be successful and you be able to refinance with us whenever like rates change. And uh, we want to make sure we set you up with success that whenever you, you go into it, you have a budget, like you're sticking to your budget um, and just understanding your credit, understanding your finances. So we want to, we want to make it a little bit more holistic than just let's push you into a house. Let's get you qualified 
like qualification and, you know, afford it, like actually affording it is two different things. So, yeah. all right. So we've seen, we've seen some movement from, from movement as you've uh, <laughs> kind of pr- continued to pursue the growth strategy, yeah. um, not just in, um, uh, in your, in your role leading the diverse segments business, but we've seen a, an acquisition of a, a real, or not real estate brokerage, sorry, <laughs> mortgage, mortgage brokerage yeah. business. Yeah. Um, tell us more about the, the growth strategy for the, the broader organization. Yeah, man, we are really, truly trying to attract talent, right? We want to make sure that each and every one of from a culture standpoint at movement, we want to be leading from a, from a leadership perspective that people say, I want to learn what they have going on, right? I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Um, and let's have a conversation and not, you know, cause recruiting is a major portion of the business. Um, and so we are heavily trying to bring the right people onto the organization like, and to be a part of the organization. And sometimes during that you have opportunities, especially in today's market where, you know, you have organizations that are, whether that's tapping out or wanting to be a part of a, you know, uh, independent, um, those opportunities pop up, right. They pop up and we want to be available and ready when they do pop up. So, yeah. So like kind of tying it back to your, to your focus, I know you're looking for opportunities to get, feet on the street and, um, uh, retail and market penetration and areas where, where, um, you can put your community-based strategies to work and get in with, with churches and historically black colleges and universities. How does like the hiring strategy or does the hiring strategy play into your ability to serve this growing and, um, and necessary focus on, uh, black and brown communities? Yeah. So from a hiring strategy perspective, from the top to the bottom, we know as an organization, we are fully aligned on what we're trying to accomplish when it comes to our grab the key initiatives and hiring the right people as well as community dot. Right. So we've had we, we've seen a drastic like growth aspect. We're up probably 35 percent on the Hispanic Latino community from a, from a loan officer recruitment standpoint and 28 percent and you know from the, the black community. Right. And so understanding that as long as we're aligned from start to finish at our organization, um, I think it's something that, you know, that it gets taken for granted that if everybody's rowing in the boat, same, you know, in the same level, everybody, like we, we will have, you will see growth from us, right? We're, we're going to grow. We're going to continue to grow. We are a growth company. Recruiting is literally something we talk about all the time. Casey doesn't right? seem like a stagnant guy. <laughs> not a, not a stagnant guy. Right. And so, man, that's what makes it fun because it's, it is all, we always have something going on. And during times like this, it's tough. It's tough for the industry. We're so focused on how do we grow that we don't spin in the negative energy, right? And so that's a that is a, a major thing that where we put our energy in the positivity of like, okay, like what do we need to do? We need to continue to grow. We need to we need to put loans through the door so that you know we can help protect our op staff and keep them busy, right? How do you? So I mean, so. I think in the market we're in right now, everyone's focused on how do we protect the business we have today? And the smart ones are focused on how do we protect our business, but also prepare ourselves for outsized growth on the other side. So you see lenders putting together innovative loan originator recruitment programs. You see people putting together like pretty sharp buy boxes on the acquisition strategy. Um, So what do you think like differentiates movements approach to being a market share winner and let's just say 23 through 25. Wow. Yeah. So I think the the differentiator for us 
because everybody's going to have cool and innovative sh- like strategies on how to buy. You guys already have the best t-shirts. So yeah. that's a, that's a win. <laughs> but dude, it's the, the brand and the culture, the brand and the culture separates itself and we want to be attractors and the brand and the culture helps that, but you build brand and culture over years, right? So what you see from us today is something that we spent a lot of time with over years. I remember my first, like, you know, you heard my story about me and Casey being friends. And I asked Casey during, cause I went through our movement university at the time. So this is like, you know, if you're new to the industry, you go through, and I just wanted to learn and be engulfed in movement. And Casey comes and speaks to every movement university uh, class. And I asked him, I'm like, how do we, how do we protect the culture? Like as we grow, like how do you make sure that the culture stays? And his, his question, like his answer to that question was like you, I'm like, what do you mean? But it's like, it is you. You protect the culture. Every single person in here protects the culture. If you care about the culture and you're passionate about what we're trying to accomplish at the highest level of loving and valuing people, right? And being a change in the industry and being a change in corporate cultures and the communities that we're serving, you hold the culture. And that like is something that always hit me. So as, as I lead and I come into contact with other people in our organization and other people that we're trying to you know help attract, dude, I want to protect the culture. Right. And so I think that the culture and our brand, go back to your to, to your question, is one of the big differentiators for us. Truly. I truly mean it and believe in it. So that's 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 why I think I mean, because we can you know, all this. Right. We have Laura Bowles, our CFO. So, you know, she's amazing. So when it comes to those opportunities, you know, her putting together something, I full, full trust in that. Um, but long term is the, the the culture, the culture upholding that. So. And I. I just like knowing members of your team, you have a lot of folks with athletic backgrounds. So do you think that the athletic background like influences the the culture in some way and like the competitive side of like, I, I just don't see you settling Montel. No. It's, it's, it's a, it's a competitive drive. It's a competitive drive and it is so fun. Uh, I just can't, I don't see myself to, to your point, just sitting over here and just being stagnant. Like I want to have consistent growth on whatever we're doing and you read Simon Sinek's Infinity Game, right? Like that, taking a look at an approach of like what's going to happen after I leave of being a part of this. And that's the cool thing about the schools. When you tie, you start to tie in the schools, it's like, okay, if we have a goal of having 100 schools, Charter One schools over the next 10 years, like, and you think about it long term, okay, then what, what can I do right now today that can help get a lot of people that couldn't get into homes, get into homes, and then you have the next generation of the, of our kids in our schools and them learning and being empowered from a financial literacy perspective. Like, dude, we're going to have massive impact in black and brown communities in underserved communities where a lot of these kids have a 4% chance of leaving the zip code that they were born in, right. From an upper mobility standpoint. Right. So, wow. Yeah. So Harvard did a study on around upper mobility in the, in the MSAs across the country. Charlotte was like 49 out of 50. Atlanta, I was like 50 or, or it might be, it might actually be flip-flop. So sorry, Atlanta. Um, but you know, but, but the, the moral to that, we talked about, we talked about redlining before a lot of those areas. Like if you come to Charlotte, like Charlotte looks beautiful. Charlotte is clean. Charlotte is growing. Uptown's you, gorgeous. You, Myers gorgeous. Park, South end. You go on the outskirts of Charlotte where the majority of the black and brown communities like are, are living and right those are the areas where they have four percent chance of leaving where they are. To understand and know that, like, and as a for-profit organization, right, we care so much more about having long-standing, sustainable impact that that's where we pour our money back into. So then, I also want to pour my energy back into that, right? You know what I mean? So that's, dude, that's um, that's a big piece of what we're 
freaking passionate about that long-term game, the infinity game, right? So. And is the, I mean, the 4% mobility stat is, is wild, but if investment's done the right way and homeownership becomes a priority, growing up in the zip code you were born in might not be the, the worst thing. If you can own a home and get the job and build wealth, and that strengthens those the, the zip codes that like people historically would consider you want to get out of. Exactly, exactly. And let's talk about, like I think that's a good transition to special purpose credit program, right? Special purpose credit program. So it's big right now. We've seen the headlines around it. Um, and a lot of people are seeing that consumers, agents, loan officers, and there's a lot of negativity around it, right? But the point that you just made is that you take long-term renters in some of these majority minority census tracts, and now they're giving them an opportunity, right, with down payment assistance, different credits to get into the home, right, and like opening up the like the, the box a little bit, like credit-wise, and you're going you're gonna to give opportunities. These are opportunities to people that have been long-term renting. They're paying somebody's mortgage, Right. Pay somebody's mortgage. Why not pay your own, right? Why not create your own long-term like savings account and have the the, the actual um, you know the growth from a net worth perspective and create generational wealth while you're living in that community. Um, and there's just so much more to it when it comes like psychologically and the behavior science around it. Like this is your property now. Like you own this property. You want to take care of the property, right? You want to protect the community and make sure that the community is safe and the community is clean, like because you are you own a piece of it, right? Um, yeah, man. So I, I I think that that's like with the special purpose credit program. Like a lot of people are see it and hear about it, and you know you read the comments and you know different posts on social. But I just want to I hope people hear and see that and see it as an opportunity, right? And that they understand that it is possible and to take those, take that first step of, of going down the process of owning a home. So, yeah. Montel, I've learned a lot from you today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. It's fun. It's fun, dude. Seriously. Could go on for hours. We but, keep uh, going, man. We keep going. Do it again. Thank That's you, sir. It. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.